Tens of thousands of new houses are being built in New Zealand this year and most of them will put out carbon emissions that are five times higher than the level set by the Paris Agreement. That means another generation of unsustainable housing. If you look at the performance of our walls, our windows, our ceilings relative to much of the OECD, it's very clear that our standards are low compared with most of the world. I'm Sharon Brett Kelly and today on The Detail I'm at a new development in Auckland to find out why our housing footprint is so big. It's just embarrassing how bad our homes are and we deserve healthier, warmer homes. But my story takes an unexpected turn when I visit a low-carbon home. I came to the realisation that the tools aren't delivering what we want and need. The Green Building Council has set out a plan for a new building code backed by its 500 members that'll ensure that all new homes and buildings will be zero carbon by 2030. Andrew Eagles is the chief executive and on a very hot Auckland afternoon he cycled over to a big new development to show me where these houses are going wrong. It's really good research from Brands and Massey University. And so to get really precise, they were talking about new-build homes, actually. And they were capturing that the embodied carbon of those homes and their operational emissions, so how many emissions it takes or are created when the building is heated or using power, are five times the limit that we have under the Paris Climate Change Agreement. We're looking directly at some houses that are in the middle of being built and just in front of us are fairly new houses. So can you point out to me... What are the things that push them so far over the limit? We'll start with the performance of the homes. So a third of the energy we use in running our home is the heat we lose out of our homes. Uh, behind you, you'll see that the windows are set um, quite on the on the edge of the facade or the walls of the property. Mm. And so what's happening is uh, the windows are quite far away in the building from where the insulation is. And that means heat can be lost outside of the the inside of the home and out through that gap between the window and where the insulation is. Would that be one of the worst things about the, our style of building in terms of efficiency or inefficiency? So it's, it's one of the things. The, the worst thing is probably our average R values, which is the overall insulation uh, of the building fabric. We're substantially below... UK and Europe, even where they were 17 years ago. Wow. So what we're talking about is insulation rates right around the walls, the ceilings, the floor, um, the windows. All of those standards are really low relative to much of the OECD. Looking at some other things, I mean, you'll see behind us there's concrete slabs. Mm -hmm. So you lose heat down into the concrete and then that gets lost into the ground. We don't have insulation around the slab. What's happening in New Zealand is we're just losing heaps of our heat out of our windows, our walls, our ceilings and our floors. And so particularly for not so much in Auckland but for most of New Zealand... Um, that's a real loss, and particularly for concrete slab insulation. So those are areas the building code could, could improve. Now, some other areas, thinking about those other thirds, are uh, hot water. So we have quite 
high carbon hot water heating system. Sometimes we have gas or sometimes it's electric. So gas, of course, is a, is a fossil fuel. So we need to decarbonise that. That's a real issue. And then our heating systems. So actually heating our, our rooms in the winter and our kitchens and things, um, there's nothing prescribed in the building code. So you can build a home in New Zealand without providing a heating system. And people often choose an inefficient uh, heating system or in some cases um, unflued gas heaters, this type of thing. The really good option that we'll have to move to in the future is, is heat pumps for both those um, areas and that will be far more efficient and lower carbon as well. That's a discussion about how we run our homes and then separately the thing the report pointed out was we need to decarbonise our building materials. Things like what, how we construct and make concrete and in homes how you can see all the aluminium windows here that we're looking at yeah. um, we can decarbonise those windows uh, that, that uh, aluminium by buying New Zealand made aluminium for instance One of the problems is the construction rubbish that's dumped the waste pile is massive and it's growing Getting rid of your rubbish could cost a bit more, with the government eyeing big boosts to the cost of dumping waste in landfills. Under a proposal announced this morning, the landfill levy will rise from $10 a tonne to as much as $60 a tonne by 2023. New Zealanders have sent more than 30 million tonnes of trash to the tip over the past 10 years, and the volumes being dumped continue to climb. 50% of the waste that goes to landfill is construction waste. Uh, or demolition waste and there's clear evidence that where you create a market and divert that um, you can reduce that. Associate Environment Minister Eugenie Sage says the increase is needed to encourage people to recycle. Incredibly New Zealand is one of the highest producers of municipal waste in the developed world per capita. But the levy will also be extended to cover other landfill types such as construction and demolition which is one of the country's biggest waste producers. Those rubbish types face a potential levy of $20 per tonne. Each new build home is five tonnes of construction material goes to, goes to waste. Wow. That, OK, so looking across the road here, mm. what kind of stuff is, is going there? There'll be um, lots of offcuts of timber, of jib, of uh, concrete, and all of that could be used for other, other purposes. Concrete, for instance, um, that can be broken down and used for roading, or the jib can be used for fertiliser. The other thing we can do is we can be building with more modern methods of construction. Mm. So if we build uh, panelised systems or pod construction in factories, uh, as Fletcher Living has done, you get far less waste products. Speaking of Fletcher, which is probably our, our biggest housing developer, or at least one of the biggest, are developers across the board guilty of this, sort of building high carbon emitting homes? You know, our building code is a very low standard in New Zealand. Uh, the OECD and the International Energy Agency have said that our building code needs to change, and as such, because uh, people aren't specifying a higher standard, mm. then most builders will come in and just, just build to to that standard at the building code. Yeah. Now, some clients are asking for better standards, such as Kainga Order or Housing New Zealand, Bupa, MetLife Care. 
they're specifying the home star standard, mm-hmm. and that means that they are getting warmer, healthier, healthier homes that are less um, emitting less carbon and less construction waste. There is a realization that we have pretty poor quality new build standards. We're not even counting embodied carbon at the moment. Embodied the, carbon. Yeah, so that's when we talked about the carbon created from making the materials. Oh, I see. I think also, in terms of decarbonising, relative to some areas of our society, it's actually achievable. So if you look, for instance, at agriculture, sheep and cows farting and burping, they don't have scientific solutions for that right now. Mm. But if you were to say to me, build a house which is five times less carbon emissions, we could do that. In fact, we've got some right now. Well, someone who's building a house like that is Rochelle Payne. First, we're going on a tour of her East Auckland home, and a lot of it's still a building site because she and her husband, Joel, are doing it all themselves. Here we are in your kitchen slash living room slash children's uh, bedroom. Tell me about your house. Slash music room. Slash music room, absolutely. We've got a piano, drums, a bunk bed, a kitchen table, a little kitchen. Laundry. Laundry. And what size room have we got here? Well, the whole apartment is 43.5 square metres. But this is like a little self-contained unit part of your bigger bigger house. house. Right. And when you walk in the door... The first thing that I noticed was this big, thick wall. What would it be, half a metre wide? 600 mils. 260 mil of rammed earth on the inside, 80 mil of insulation in the middle, and then another 260 mil of rammed earth on the outside. Why? What's that about? So we're doing passive house certification, and for passive house you have to have a continuous line of insulation around all the floors, walls and ceilings because the idea is you don't want to be losing the heat out. So when you heat the inside of the building, you want to keep the heat in where it's valuable to you. So looking at this room, tell me about what makes it a passive house. What makes us a passive house, uh, will hopefully make us a passive house once we finish building and get our certification, is that we have a continuous line of insulation around all the walls, floors and ceilings. So whenever something is connecting, and say for up here or over there, where we've got our very large hind beams connecting to a concrete bomb beam, we have to create a thermal break there so that any heat that's on the inside can't track through the beams into the concrete and to the outside. Mm-hmm. So we have insulation in the walls and between the rammed earth we have a full line of insulation under our concrete slab down here we don't have a traditional roof what we have here is a warm roof so a traditional roof will have say these beams and then you'd put insulation inside the beams so all the beams would be cold bridges we have got our insulation on top of the beams and then we have a membrane and then we're going to have a green roof on top of that i see so we are fully insulated around all parts of this little this little one bedroom apartment could be certified as a passive house by itself it's it's a fully insulated little envelope we go for a a little look in your bathroom the the biggest feature in our bathroom is our composting toilet Ah. so we're doing the living building challenge and for the living building challenge you can't send any water waste to sewer so you have to gather all your own potable water that you need on site, you have to deal with all your own black or grey water on site, and you also have to deal with all your own stormwater on site. So we're dealing with a lot of our stormwater via our planting and our 
green roof. We have a grey water filtration system in the basement. So when we use the taps, the kitchen, the dishwasher, the laundry, it goes down into the basement and it goes through a filtration system and then it pumps out to some evapotranspiration beds that we have. But because our site is quite small, we couldn't have a full black and grey water treatment system. So we went, goodness knows what this looks like. It looks beautiful. It's just been emptied. Uh, composting toilet. So all and if you look our... At, can I just describe that? Because if you look in there, is that a plastic bag it in there? It is a compostable bag. So uh, apologies for the language that may now pop out. But we poop and wee into this bucket system. Uh, you do your business, you throw a scoop of sawdust on top, put your toilet paper in, close the lid. When the bucket gets full, we tie a knot in the bag and we walk the bucket outside to our compost chamber, drop the bag in, we put a new bag in the toilet after a bit of a clean and sort of rinse and repeat. In Auckland's recent heatwave, the unit was getting far too hot, up to 35 degrees as the sun hit the west-facing windows. On top of my books, I have a little white box. It's got a little circle with circles. That's a uh, data logger. It measures temperature, relative humidity, CO2, VOCs, and uh, it takes a reading every 15 minutes and sends it to the internet, and I can find out what what this house is doing any point in time from anywhere in the world in terms of its um, indoor environment quality. We haven't finished this house. These windows don't have any shading and quite frankly in the summer they obviously need some type of shading to stop that sun coming in. Okay but what what you said to me earlier was that this is a major fault of uh, everything um, (laughs) of the passive house. I think it's their weak point. Uh, Passive house is very strong on making sure you meet the minimum internal temperature of 20 degrees and you won't get any condensation, damp, mould and it's a healthy climate inside they're very insulated they're airtight you're not getting drafts you're keeping the heat in but when it's hot outside and if you're letting that heat inside you're keeping it in and you can get hot if you haven't designed or are not operating the dwelling the way that you should be so for us this is too hot we're not operating it right we weren't night purging we weren't shading these windows from the sun which we need to to maintain a comfortable temperature in this room but so we need to said, work on that. Yeah, but as you said earlier, uh, in our warming world, yes, the way these, I guess, these green building rating systems are designed is is not for a world that's warming up. No, so, and I've been publishing some research on this recently. There's a very, very strong discourse in New Zealand on cold and damp. If you look in the media. Anywhere in the media online, you'll find cold and damp housing crisis, cold and damp, cold and damp, cold and damp. Very little on hot and humid, which is the counterbalance. So all our government legislation, all our rating tools, all our standards, things like the Warren of Fitness, Home Fit, Homestar, even Passive House to a level, really focus on making sure you're not cold and damp. But despite all her expertise and effort, Rochelle can't claim to have a zero carbon house. No house is ever going to be zero carbon mm. in terms of upfront emissions because as soon as you do anything, you're going to have a carbon footprint. Uh, operationally, we'll be zero carbon for sure, but whether or not we'll, we, no one can be upfront net mm. zero carbon for that. So if you're building, you have a carbon impact and you have to offset that somehow. Okay. Which is why all the zero carbon legislation and bills is very interesting because I always go, how are, you, how are you doing this? Most, when they're talking about zero carbon, they're not talking about construction, they're talking about operation. So it's offsetting your energy down to zero. You've got yourself into a bit of trouble with various green building groups. 
which initially you supported and worked for, and now you don't. Can you answer that? That is correct. I have got myself into a bit of a pickle. Uh, I have been completing for the last three years while we're building the house my PhD at Auckland University. And I have been studying in particular green building rating tools and whether or not they deliver what they say they can. So we have data loggers in our house here on site and I took the exact same data loggers and I put them into some houses in Auckland and I monitored their temperature, relative humidity, carbon dioxide, VOCs. I've also looked at the cost to build and some of the claims of the green building rating tools that are used in New Zealand. And what I found was that what was claimed was not being delivered on the houses that I studied. So the costs were higher, the temperature thresholds weren't being met, and some of they were too hot. And I've published some research papers on that. Uh, And it's been possibly quite a horrific journey for me because I've been involved with green building a long time, both in New Zealand and all around the world. I've worked with LEED, I've worked with BREAM, I helped establish the Emirates Green Building Council in the Middle East while I was there, came back to New Zealand, I've been a Green Star Assessor for 10 years, I've been a Home Star Assessor delivering these projects, helping write some of the rating tools and when I started my PhD, whilst always going in with a neutral mindset, my gut-wrenching hope was that I was going to find positive results and that we could use this to promote and further engage with industry and say, look how good this is. Yeah, the, the Green Star system, or the Home, home Star, star. I, In particular, I've studied Home Star right. for my PhD. And what unfortunately happened to me was over the three years, whilst also building my own project while acting as a consultant and while studying, I came to the realisation that the tools aren't delivering what we want and need. And publishing the results of my study and going on that personal journey and then starting to talk about it has led me into some personal difficulties with regards to work and futures and and bits and pieces, which is fine. Uh, I often, and this gets me into trouble, But I often think that, not limited to New Zealand, but green building councils, institutes, whoever owns and operates a rating tool, they have a vested interest in the success of that rating tool. It's not limited to New Zealand. The same happens in Australia. Same will happen with Passive House, with the International Living Future Institute and Living Building Challenge. They've got a rating tool. They need people to use it and to pay to use it. Otherwise, they can't perpetuate themselves as an organisation. That is the downfall because then you are sort of stuck into your own narrative and if something comes along that isn't as part of your narrative, you typically get quite defensive about it and try to pull it down or shoot it down rather than looking to learn and grow and going, oh, if it's not working, we need to change, we need to grow, we need to move in a different direction. Okay, and when you say you got yourself into a a pickle personally as well as career-wise, where has it left you? Uh, Unemployed. <laughs> to be honest, so I I had to sell the shares in a business that I own, part, partly owned, and stop doing the work that I was doing. It was actually quite freeing for me, I have to say, because in my studies I was finding these things, and then I'd have to go to meetings around the use of these rating tools and try and be positive and proactive about them, and I didn't feel it anymore. So n- no longer having to do that or tell clients to do things that I didn't believe in, it took a huge weight off my shoulders, but it did leave me not earning any money to help support this rather colossal world. So <laughs> We need something, though, don't we? We need, we need some kind of standard to work towards, surely. <sighs> 
I think what we need, this is my personal opinion, this is where I've come to after three years of study. I think we need to know what we want. So are we interested in healthy homes? Are we interested in energy efficiency? Are we interested in low carbon? Are we interested in biodiversity? Once we know what we're looking for, and most people don't even know what they're looking for, so those are the questions you have to ask first. What is important to me? Then you can start to say, okay, so carbon's important to me, so what do I need to do to to reduce my carbon? And there's pathways you can follow to do that. That's quite straightforward. If you go, I want a healthy home, then you need to go, well, I need to make sure I'm designing a home that's going to keep me within a healthy temperature range and a healthy relative humidity with um, really good airflow and low carbon dioxide buildup. And the only way you know you've got that is if you put in data loggers and measure it. There are design and construction checklists you can use along the way, but if you're not monitoring and measuring and verifying that the house is performing the way you want it to, then you, you just don't know what you're living in. And Andrew Eagles from the Green Building Council disputes some of Rochelle Payne's claims, and he says they've asked for specific evidence and they haven't yet got it. And we should point out that the Green Building Council does charge for Homestar certification, but it doesn't make a profit. That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Andrew Eagles and Rochelle Payne. Kakite anō. 